It's amazing to have you guys here tonight. Uh, thanks for coming. If it's your first time here, welcome. I've had an interesting, interesting day today, and I want to share this with you before we get started tonight. Um, got a call this morning from uh, my old church where I was the youth pastor at, and there was a family that uh, w- was in our youth ministry, and uh, the mom has been battling with cancer for a long time, and and they called this morning and said, um, hey, could, could you, like, she's going she's gonna to die today, the, the mother. And uh, the boys, the two sons who are in our youth ministry, they're just driving up from Mizzou today, junior and sophomore in college, and could you just go up and just be with them? And so I went up this morning to Progress West and, um, you know, just seeing these two studly dudes just broken and a dad broken and a family broken and, and um, watching, you know, a, a woman who, by the way, is going to be with the Lord today. Um, and and I, here, here's, I share all that to say this, is, is as I was driving in my car on the way back, I just realized again just how insignificant I am. And when we sing, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, Isn't it awesome that those just aren't words? I mean, I felt completely inadequate there. Got no words to say. All I can do is give a hug and say, I love you. I'm with you. But here's what I want to remind us before we take another step further. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. He is faithful when we are faithless. His foundations are never shaken. Somehow, He uses our insignificance for His glory and namesake. And that should be worth worshiping in and of itself. Amen? And so tonight, as we, as we dive into this, we're resting not on the words of a mere man. We're going to wrestle with the Scripture in the prayer that God will speak to us tonight, and here's my specific prayer for us. You've had moments in your life, I'm sure, where God has almost seemingly grabbed in your soul and held your heart in front of you and let you see it. My prayer tonight is that He grabs your heart and He reveals your heart to you tonight. So may we make that our prayer. God, please come and show us our desperate need of you. In your awesome name and all God's people said, amen. Jason did a marvelous job teaching last week this concept of praying for a sinful brother and two weeks ago, wrestling with this concept of prayer. Check this out. The journey of First John has been amazing, hasn't it? Hope it's been encouraging to you. It's definitely been fun for Jason and I to teach it. It's been very humbling. Tonight, though, check this out. Tonight we, tonight we come in for a landing Literally the last four verses of 1 John. If, if you've just started coming to Matthias, we've been a church for four years, and we've only studied three different books of the Bible. That's how, okay? So Genesis, Luke, and now 1 John. So we go very slowly. But before we dive in tonight to these last four verses, I want each of us to have the, the same mindset. When I was growing up, I would play hide-and-go-seek with all of my cousins on a farm. Have any of you guys ever played hide-and-go-seek on a farm before? It's an amazing experience because there's this phenomenal tension of 
there's a lot of places to hide, and most of them you could die hiding there. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, you're climbing over combines or in greenhouses where there's bacteria and who knows what. We're hiding in the attics of barns, which whatever rodent is up there. I mean, you, you know, just whatever. This one particular day, I remember being seven or eight or so and deciding that I was going to hide on my grandfather's international tractor. Any international fans here? Okay, a few of you. Any John Deere fans? Just for sake of, okay. It's a split tonight, I think. Talk about that later. Um, so I decided to hide in this tractor. Now, it was probably a bad hiding spot because the tractor had no cab. Uh, it was like an open-air tractor. And I don't know much about tractors, but it didn't have the pl- glass thing around it, right? And, uh, but after a few seconds, there was this little gleaming silver light coming from down underneath. And I looked down, and sure enough, the keys were still in the ignition. Now, oh, every once in a while, especially as a young child, I had a tendency to not think things all the way through. You know what I mean? You, just, you see something, kind of like Curious George or whatever. And um, so I reached down after a few seconds, and I turned uh, the key to this international tractor. Now, thankfully, what I didn't know and realize that, e- that day is that you have to have the clutch in on these old tractors to actually turn the tractor on. Oh, by the way, still don't know what a clutch is, can't drive a stick. So some of you know what that means, I don't. Um, but even, if, even after turning the ignition, the engine, though it didn't start, it still made a little rumble. See what I'm saying? And out of the corner of my eye, I see the very thing I didn't want to see. And my grandfather's head peered out behind the garage. Now, he was only about 30 yards away, and he begins walking towards me. The 30 yards felt like 30 years, right? Like you're just wondering. My grandfather, listen to this, a big beastly stallion, okay? I've shared this before. He eats jalapenos right out of the, he was a stud, okay? Big burly guy, all these. So he comes up to the tractor, and he pulls me out of the, the tractor with both of his strong hands. I remember this. And, um, and he begins to, we begin to have a, a little discussion, right? And uh, very sternly, right, at first, I mean, he's, Mark, here's what could have happened if that tractor would have started. Again, I hadn't thought all this through, right? But then, I don't know if, it's, if it was his, his wisdom or his age or both. My grandfather, though, every time he spoke, the words were thunderous. Did you, have you ever had a person like that in your life? Where there was this person that whenever they spoke, first of all, everyone listened, and second of all, the words just came with thunder? That was my grandfather. He was very soft-spoken, but it's hard to imagine that I came from that lineage, I know. But um, whether it was his age or his wisdom or whatever, at the end of that conversation, you walked away feeling like he loved you and you were encouraged. Like, though this was this very difficult, you know, Mark, you could have just died. This tractor, which cost however much, like, it could have ran into anything. You could have run your cousin over, even worse. But then at the end of that conversation, though his words had been stern, you walk away saying, that guy loves me. Now, I don't know whether it's his age or his wisdom or both, but John is an old man. And we've been watching this old man take us through this journey, this passionate, stern at times, right? Very black and white at times. He said some harsh things. He's called people children of the devil, which... I'm sure many of you haven't done, okay? But here at the end, look at this. Here at the end, he does something interesting. Maybe it's his age and his wisdom, and obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
he's going to leave us, and specifically his readers, feeling encouraged. And so I want you to open your Bibles now to 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. There's a Bible right in front of you in the pew. We're going to take a journey through this text and see what God would have for us to learn tonight. As John closes up this amazing epistle, by the way, as you're turning next week, we'll recap the whole book of 1 John in one teaching. If you've never been to one of our recaps, they're a whole lot of fun. It's like a teaching carnival, all right? So make sure you come out next week. It should be a lot of fun. You guys all there? Say I'm there. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18 says this. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not, what's the word there? Touch him. Put the verse up for me. Now, there's two words that he's going to use here uh, in verses 18, 19, and 20, and those words are we know. The whole book of 1 John has been about assurance. You ask why? Well, for those of you that are just joining us, there was this heresy that was infiltrating the church. And the heresy was that Jesus wasn't God, that he didn't come in the flesh. And so John's, one of John's main purposes for writing is to assure the believers. I step back from that and pause. We spend a lot of time in our life wondering, don't we? Think about the immense amount of seconds and minutes and hours and years that are spent in our lifetime wondering Some of you right now are wondering if the relationship is going to work out, if that person is really interested in you, and you've spent sleepless nights wondering that. Many of you are wondering here tonight if you're going to be able to pay off that debt that you have. It's becoming so overwhelming, and you're wondering. It's causing causing a lot of tension in your heart as you think about that. You're, You're wondering what kind of impact you'll make in whatever it is. We spend a lot of time wondering. So isn't it brilliant that as John closes this, he says this all-encompassing phrase, we know. It's an interesting strategy, isn't it? You see, he doesn't say, hey, hey, do you know? Hey, Christian, are, are you sure that you know? What does he say? He encompasses them strategically and says, we know. As if to peer into their eyes and say, My brothers and sisters, we can know. What I love about the gospel is that in every shape, way, and form, it is so anti and countercultural. Can I please? Amen. So much so that in a moment like this, look at this, what John keeps saying, we don't have to wonder. Instead, look at this, we can wonder in awe of what God has done. So we don't have to sit around and spend all of the moments of our life wondering if the gospel really is the gospel. What John keeps saying is we can know now. And he knows the power of doubt and he knows the power of a Christ-implanted faith. Are you with me? So when he says we know here, understand his strategy of encompassing his readers in so that he may encourage them. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. This is nothing new. We've already studied this. We've already taught this. 1 John chapter 3 verse 6, Jesus, or John says, if you're abiding in him, the son of God, then you will not keep on sinning. Now what's the concept? For those of you that were here, you'll remember. It's not perfection. 
That's tough, isn't it? But the merit part of your heart still wants to read it that way. I can't go on sinning, and so I, I need to try, and I need to merit salvation, and I need to keep earning it. No, no. But what Scripture does say is that, and what John has already said in the first, in the first and second chapters, is if you continue to go on sinning, and you li- like, you're a liar, if all of a sudden your life and your words don't match up, what he's talking about here is being dominated by sin. Anyone born of God will not continue to be dominated by sin. And the way that we phrased it several weeks ago is we said there's a difference between being dominated by sin and once in a while occasionally struggling with sin. So your key to knowing whether you're a child of God, are you being dominated by sin? Is that your domination? Is that your focus? Are you so overwhelmed by your sin? My friends, what John is saying, and this is one of the harsh words, is that children of God, they're not. They're not dominated by their sin. Why does he say? Because, but he who is born of God protects him. The Greek word for born there is begotten. The King James Version, any King James reader still, right? Awesome. And those two and my passed away grandfather, right? right? Any, but he who is born of God protects him. That, that born there is begotten. It implies Christ. So the children of God do not continue on sinning because Christ protects them. Now, how does, the, how does it end here? And the evil one does not, what's the word? Touch him. Greek word, haptu, listen to this, literally means to fasten, to adhere to. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not adhere to him. Fasten to that individual. Now, your question and my question should be this. How does Christ protect us? Right? It's tough sometimes to feel that. We can read a lot of scriptures, we can hear a lot of teachings about the protection of Christ, but because he's not incarnated right here and right now in the flesh, it's tough because he's not like stepping in front of some of the attacks that we get. So how does he protect us? Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 20 says this, You, children of God, were bought at a price. What, What price? The price of the life of the Savior with his blood You were bought with his blood, making you, if in fact in here you are a child of God, making you his. So instead of being adhered to or fastened to the evil one, guess whose grip you're in? Guess whose hand you're in? Guess whose protection, and Jason taught this last week, guess whose protection you're in? You now, my friends, are in the protection of the great God of the universe. That clutch, listen, that clutch can never be let go. And so, what John says is be assured. It's tough, isn't it, right now to not get overwhelmed? It's tough to read this and be like, man, but what about the evil one? But what about that reality? John wants his believers that he's writing to to step back and say, I have victory through Christ over sin. We're not talking about that enough in the church. The world isn't seeing that enough in believers. We're not celebrating those victories together enough Through Christ, I have victory over sin. 
an amazing concept. And so I ask you, do you know? John writes to his readers, we know, do you know? That those who are born of God do not continue on sinning, that Christ protects you and you're not adhered or fastened to the evil one. Can I share something with you, if I may? Not that you have a choice. Confessional time for me. I feel like sometimes I believe a lot of things just because I've been trained to. You guys see what I'm saying? I've heard it enough. People have ingrained it enough. I've read enough books, and I grew up in the church. I saw enough felt boards, okay? That I just believe what I've been trained. What starts to happen as we start to wrestle with, do you know? is God begins to expose the distance of your belief in your life. You see what I'm saying? You all communicate by how you're living whether or not you believe that's true. And so the training doesn't matter in that it can't affect your heart. Only Christ changes your heart. And then the Spirit empowering you. See what I'm saying? So as we continue to go through this, I want you to work from that perspective. Verse 19, put this up for me. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know we are from God, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. First uh, Greek word, lie. Blueletterbible.com, by the way, the Greek words for everything. I've had a few people ask me, like, so where do you find all the Greek words? Did you just, like, make those up, or did, those, did you take four years of, you know, I did take Greek in college, but blueletterbible.com, you can use the worldwide internet, okay, and find it, all right? The Greek word for lies is, is kemai. Listen to this. And it means to be buried with. The whole world lies as if to be buried with in death in the power of the evil one. This statement is empowering and sobering at the same time, isn't it? It's like empowering in that we are from God and we're not lying in the power of the evil one. But the thing that's interesting, look at this. These two existences, children of God and children of the devil, I know that that sounds harsh, doesn't it? But it's true. Children, And when I say children of God, by the way, I'm not talking about some God that's been created by man. When I say children of God, I'm talking about believers in Christ, saved by the grace of Jesus, blood-bought by the ransom of... made relationship right with God through Christ. That's what I'm talking about, children of God. Anyone who does not have relationship to God through Christ is a child of the devil. Harsh, I know, but true and real. Listen, these two existences... Children of God, children of the devil, brush up against shoulders all day long, every day. Isn't that just intriguing? Two, listen, two people that are consistent, like polar opposites, children of God, children of the devil, brush existences all day, every day. That is a sobering reality especially because of this understanding. We didn't always, and we won't forever. You see what I'm saying? 
These two existences, children of God and children of the devil, they coexist now, they brush shoulders now, but they didn't always. And they won't forever. In a conversation I was having with Jason, he brought up this passage, put up Matthew 13. Look at this, this, this just preaches for itself. Matthew chapter 13. There it is. I know it's very long up there, but li- listen to this with me. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 says this. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in this field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Are you with it? Verse 27. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you will root up the wheat along with them. Verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. These two existences are coexisting now. They haven't always and they won't forever. But gather the wheat into the barn. See, John's only repeating what he's heard from Jesus. Now listen to this. I want to show you something. Put, put verse 19 back up there for me. As these two existences, and I want to show you how our belief system is revealed. As these two existences coexist, we brush up against each other your worldview comes out really quick when your pagan neighbor does something and here's what you say, I can't believe they did that. Or you look at the political system of the world and you say to yourself, I can't believe it's this way. Or you look at the economic status or you look at suffering. Whatever it is that you look at, Ephesians 2, the power of the air, the kingdom of the air, ruled by whatever, it, however it is that you look at the evil world and you say, I can't believe it's this way. It reveals deep in your heart that you are placing unrealistic expectations on a world that is lying as if to be buried with the evil one. And so as I was talking earlier about how your existence is revealed, let me share this with you. We coexist and we brush shoulders and we march together with life. I think what often happens in Christians is because of this unrealistic expectations of evil ones, we develop a self-righteous anger against people. We know that our neighbor doesn't know Jesus. And when they don't brush their leaves appropriately, and in fact, they brush them very, like, actually into our yard on purpose. You watch them, right? In your heart, your worldview comes out. Because your worldview isn't, well, nothing good is going to come from them. They are a child of the day. And that should, instead of creating this self-righteous anger, it should create a God-honoring humility that begins to reveal the grace of Christ. I've shared this before with you all. When I was a sophomore in high school, six of my good buddies, six, one, two, three, you get it. And um, we all made this commitment together. We didn't write it down, but we made a commitment one day in the locker room. All right, none of us are going to have sex before we're married. 
All right, none of us are going to drink alcohol ever. You know, we kind of broke it out, go team. Well, one by one in high school, I started to watch all my friends start to give way. One started having sex, another started getting drunk. By my senior year in high school, I was the lone sailor left. Some of you have been in these shoes. My worldview came out. Mostly my obsession with myself came out. When I then instantly raised my stock above all of these. And instantly I was better, more holy. I found my worth in myself instead of Christ. Because when you find your worth in Christ, then your heart breaks at this statement. You see? That's the difference. When the gospel has truly broken your heart open, you break at a statement like this. What? The whole world is lying buried with the evil one? God, would you... And you're pleading constantly, God, would you save? God, would you move? God, would you somehow use my insignificant life to be a voice for the gospel? Instead, we sit back pompously and start just pointing fingers. What's up with that person? What's up with that per- And we mock at the world when they call us judging. You're judging me. Well, I'm not. Well, the 20 last Christians did. You see? This is a sobering reality. And so I ask you now, do you know? Is your worldview really that the whole world outside of Christ is lying as if it's been buried with the evil one? You were there too. Some of you who know Christ now were there too. And you have watched the power of the gospel, listen, take you out of the grave and give you new life. And so when John writes, we know, you see, he wants his readers to walk away and say, we know. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him, in him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Uh, the first time I read this, I was like, okay, hold on, wait a minute. Like, did you say true 18 times in that? You know what I mean? So to help us look at this, I want to break this up into three statements. First statement is this. Jesus is God's Son and He did come in the flesh. He's summarizing the book in a lot of ways. So the first thing John says is Jesus is the Son of God. You guys will remember this. The Gnostics believe that the Christ Spirit came on Jesus at his baptism and left the Christ Spirit before the crucifixion because the God really can't suffer. Complete bunk. But that's what they believed. What John keeps teaching is, no, 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 no. Jesus was God and he did manifest himself. He was incarnated. He did come. So from verse 20, that's the one thing. Uh, second point is this. He came to bring redemption Oh, this is money. And to give revelation. Did you see in verse 20? To give understanding. Look at this. Greek culture. Shall we talk about that for a moment? Have you, got, have you, have you guys ever heard of Zeus? Anyone here have a Zeus tattoo? Just by moment of confession. Anybody? All right. Bobby, do you have a Zeus? I thought you did. No? Okay. Must be another guy I was thinking about. Um, listen. The power of the Greek gods. You know there are many, right? The power of the Greek god, listen, was found in mystery and fear. In other words, you as a person in Greek culture really can't get to know Zeus. You really can't get to know him. 
There's no interpersonal interaction with you and Zeus. So the whole premise is, get, create more questions about Zeus. Well, who is Zeus? And what is Zeus? Don't ask questions about Zeus. Just fear for your life. And we talked about the prayer life then in Greek culture, which is all about appeasing the gods so they don't smite you, you see? He came to give revelation, to give understanding. Look, to be the, inco- to be the revel. Who is God? Jesus came, and even though there's still mysteries to who God is in the scripture, he came and opened up the floodgates to who God was. Come on, that's our God, that's our King. That's the beautiful piece of Jesus, not just bringing redemption, in other words, bringing people out of the grave, but also giving people understanding. So much so that you and I could have interpersonal reaction and interaction with God. This is why the gospel continues to be so countercultural. These readers would have heard that word understanding and been like, whoa, say what? We can, under, we, can, we can know God, and John is saying, yes. You can know him and the true God, not one of these false, fake, whatever gods. Incredible, isn't it? And so as you're picturing this old man writing this letter, you're just seeing his passion well up. Point three is, is this. He is the manifestation, in other words, the incarnation, in other words, the visualization, that was a lot of shuns, of the one true God, and life only comes through him. So he's been building on this premise all book long. Through Christ comes life. And we've hit on it before. Apart from Christ, all you have is death. All you have is death. Now, Five chapters, a lot of verses. If you were going to close an epistle, let's speak hypothetically for a moment. How would you close it? Like, it's been fun, you know, good night, thanks for, you know, how, how would you do it? Like, what would be your strategy? Just say, hey, thanks for reading, I know it's, well. Here's what John does, verse 21. That's it. Now, what I've been wrestling with is why. Why that? The first thing you should notice is what? We'll go chronologically here. The first thing you should notice is what? His intro. What is his intro? Little children. Do you remember the story I was telling you about my grandfather? See, little children for John has been a term of endearment. So listen, if I was preaching that message, I mean, and you guys know I have a tendency at times to get somewhat excitable. If I was preaching, listen, if I was preaching this message, I mean, this would have been the point, I would have been, we would have been going to town, see? I mean, this, we would have been, but not John. John starts it with a term of endearment. Instead of like shaking and say, keep yourself from idols, he says, little children, keep yourself, you see? So why does he say, keep yourself from idols? Well, first of all, um, the Greek word for idol is Adelon, not to be confused with the Christian band Avalon, okay? Even though, anyway, if you like Avalon, there's a prayer room in the back, and we'll talk about that later. Um, Adelon, and it means an image of a heathen god. 
and that image can be anything. After five chapters, pouring assurance in to his readers, we know, we know, we know. Here's what he does. Verse 18, be assured. Verse 19, be assured. Verse 20, be assured. Verse 21, live assured. And you're like, how do you, how do you make that jump? Your belief system reveals your heart. And then it reveals by your life, then it's revealed by your lifestyle. In other words, let me share this with you. When I was growing up, it was faux pas for a male to be afraid of the dark. Any of you guys who are males? Like if you were hanging out with your buddies at a seven or eight-year-old slumber party, you're not telling your homies that you're afraid of the dark, you know? I mean, that's not, when you go to bed, you're not like, hey, uh, hey guys, could you, is there a nightlight somewhere around here? You know? No. So, you know, I go to slumber parties and we're hanging out. And I'm not saying that. In fact, I'm puffing my chest out. Oh, yeah, dude, turn off all the, like, don't, you know, turn off the clocks. We don't need any lights. Let's make it all dark. You know what I'm saying? Like, put a sheet over my face. Like, just, you know, let's make it dark, you know? But then I would go home. And my mom's here tonight. She can attest to this. Ask her. Tell her to prove it. I would go home, and there was this basketball hoop. Come on. There was this basketball hoop that hung over my uh, closet door. Anybody else? Yeah? And the light would come in from the window, and it would hit my hoop in a particular way that would create some weird images on my walls. (laughs) You know? Now, listen. I can say all I want that I'm not afraid of the dark. But when my mom comes by my door and I say, hey mom, could you, could you leave the door cracked and turn the hallway line on? Do I re- am I really afraid? See? My life reveals my belief system. When John says, live assured, what he's saying is, you can say all you want about your belief. You can say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Christ is the Messiah, that He came and by His blood purchased me. You can say all you want. And Christian, in this room, you have been saying a lot of things. You've been communicating a lot of things. You've been revealing a lot of things. Saying a lot worshiping to a lot of things. And what John says is, is live it. Because your life reveals what you really believe and what you don't believe. Your life reveals your idolatry. And when your life reveals your idolatry, what comes out quickly is where you're not trusting in the grace of Christ. Is where you think you can do it on your own. Is where you think you are your own merit gain. Where, where you think you're your own way to salvation. All of these things come out in our life. It's not enough for John just to write five chapters and pour all this deep doctrine and theology into us and then say, have a good night, everyone. He leaves them with no formal farewell except live free from idolatry, and that will expose the heart of the gospel. God really is enough. 
his work on the cross really is enough. When I pray, I can hope and I can trust in nothing else but you. And I want to spend one more minute on this. I think a lot of times we think that idolatry is all these kind of like, we'll say money. What's your idol? What's money? What's your idol? Porn. What's your idol? Relationships. I mean, we make out all this list. But, but are those the real idol? Can I tell you guys something? The idolatry that God most exposes in my life is my obsession with myself. Still believing that I can do it on my own. Well, Mark, what do you mean? What I mean is, at times, going on mission without having prayed, going on mission without, with this heart that's ultimately about my glory, serving other people where I really want my name to be seen as great. What God keeps revealing about my idolatry is, Mark, there's some times where you're really, really obsessed with yourself. For, for some of you guys who would say, my, my, my idol is porn. No, it's not. That's just the product of your idolatry. Your idol is probably control. Your idol is probably just easy self-gratification. For some of you in here, you would say your, your, idol, uh, your, idol, or your, 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 your idol is gossip. But, but ultimately, your idol is, is acceptance. All you're doing all of your life is just making sure that you are accepted, that people just come and they look at you and they say, oh, right on, you're my friend, you're my friend, you're my friend. Our idolatry in the Christian world is ultimately revealing our belief system. And that's a pretty miserable state, isn't it? But, I step back from that and I ask this. Some of you right now could answer this question. My idol was. Yes. My idol was control. But then the gospel got a hold of me so much, ripped all of my control away and showed me how to truly, not just by word, but by life, rest in Christ. My idol was materialistic gain, but God ripped it all away. And There are some of you in here who would say, my idol was. Can we just celebrate that? Right now, what should be stirring in you, Christian, is all of these things that the gospel has changed. We talk so much in this particular church, rightfully so, about our sin and how Christ... But friends, there are times when we just... Celebrate how God has, be, has become our complete focus. Thank you, God, for taking my idol was. Some of you tonight need to communicate that with some people here. You just need to celebrate it. Hey, you know what? I know I haven't told you, but listen to this. I was struggling with this idol and ultimately revealing, and, but God came in. Now there's others of you tonight who have to ask this question. My idol is fill in the blank. Your life is revealing your idolatry. Hear the words of John. Little children, by the protection of Christ who bought you with a price, keep yourselves from idols. Only by his power, only by his strength, 
an old man writes down, keep yourself from idols. And the pen drops. What a beautiful picture for the victory of Christ. And do you all know what happened in Asia Minor? Have you heard? The gospel didn't stop in Asia Minor. The gospel kept moving forward. People kept coming to Christ. Lands were changed. Leaders were given a heart for the gospel. The movement was alive and well. And so church tonight as we worship and we respond, two things. My idol was, let's celebrate that. My idol is, let God hold your heart out in front of you and expose how your belief system is being showed in your life and your worldview. And let's sit back and say, God, would you increase our faith? Because that's the prayer, right? It's trust, isn't it? Isn't it trust? Isn't it faith, guys? God, will you just, will you just increase our faith like only you can so that we truly in every, like today as I'm with this family, I just sit back and I recognize I have no control. God gives and he takes away. And when we start grabbing a hold of that, friends, we will be assured and we will live assured. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let's pray. God, hear our Hear our cries for help. God, we we just ask, we plead that you would give us more faith. God, please show us in these moments that we do not need an idol. We have the only source of life in you. God, give us that heart, please, hear our cries of repentance, overwhelm us with the sense of your, God, will you come in these moments? Will you, will you help us celebrate, God, that we don't do enough of? God, will you help us just be reminded of the great gospel that has made you our complete focus? And God, I ask that you reveal these other aspects of our life and our heart that have placed something else in front of you, God. Take that, restore that peace like only the gospel can. God, I pray that you would change us. And I pray that the gospel movement would be alive and well in our cities. Let's stand. Let's stand. And the power and the victory and the revelation of Christ Let's worship our King.